Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm a freaking guardian of the galaxy, Will Johnson. Ooh, boy, that just dripped with charisma. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're all damn glad to have you. This is all for tantrum sake. We're share passions and high fives to wash away any place for hate. No matter what, in the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, it's new release time. We're going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And this comes to us recommended by our returning guest, Katie Glidewell. Hello, hello, hello. See, all is right in the universe right now. Um, <laughs> so um, Katie is going to hang around with us today for um, a episode on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 to get the new release mojo going. But then we're going to record another episode on kind of a whole run retrospective on kind of everything Guardians of the Galaxy from their obviously trilogy films and then their other appearances and uses in the other MCU films and specials. So that'll be a nice little show. So uh, hang tight for this one. You get a deeper dive in the second one. For now, today, our format is this. The recommending lover will go first, but in this case, our guest always goes first. After that, Will, the lover, will go first. He'll get his five uninterrupted minutes after Katie to shower his praise and state his high minute case. The hater, which is me, all three stars of it, follows with five uninterrupted minutes of my own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth and air conditioning jokes that I used on kicking the seat. After that, we'll open it up for about 30 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. All right. Chug your alcohol, find your kill switch in your heart, and let's get this going. All right. So am I going first? You are. Yes. The guest always. Oh, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. So Guardians of the Galaxy, written and directed by James Gunn, uh, the third in the trilogy. And according to James Gunn and everyone involved with Marvel, at least for now, I mean, you can never say never, but apparently this is the final film in uh this series for the guardians uh there uh this is after endgame and actually after the christmas special gamora has died but then she's come back peter is still reeling from that and so are all the guardians but it's a little different uh there's just a little i don't know it's for me, there wasn't as much fun in the beginning. Uh, there were some things about it. But then we meet Adam Warlock, who is supposed to be a huge factor in, I know, the comic series. Uh, that was played, who I believe, brilliantly by Will Porter. I mean, he's done some um, comedic uh, things in the past. This one, I thought, just blew me away. But man, does he cause some damage. And from the get-go... At least as an audience member, I realized that this is not your grandma's guardians. I mean, <laughs> the violence in this, what he does to Nebula alone is like, damn. I mean, it's bad. And that's when I, um, one of the things about the film that I definitely felt, and I've been saying this all along, this is the most horror adjacent uh, Marvel film, I think, uh, that has ever been put out. Uh, I know I'll do my thing, but I'm just going to say it now. When I got done with the film, I thought it was a horror film, you know, wrapped in a superhero cape, kind of like a dis disguise. As I started to think about it and talk about it with more people, 
uh, just, you know, as it's sunk in, it definitely is. I, I still feel like it's a horror film, but I feel it's a horror film with a superhero heart. Like you get to see uh, Rocket's origin story, which is very body horror and, um, you know, damage against uh, animals and stuff. You have the high evolutionary who to me is the baddest of the bad. I mean, yes, you have Thanos and in his demented mind, he had somewhat of a theory of why he was doing what he was doing in sort of a positive way. The high evolutionary is just evil, but there's just so many horror films that I, you know, just felt like they were giving a nod to like the Island of Dr. Moreau, Face Off, Robocop, The Thing, Hardware, Terminator, there's even this scene between Rocket and the High Evolutionary that I thought was very reminiscent of Alien Covenant. You also see all of the Guardians that um, this, I felt like they actually somewhat had an arc to each one of their characters. I, you know, I really wish after seeing the whole film and going through and preparing for this, I, I kind of really wish I would have seen something regarding like Nebulous Horse, um, you know, origin story, but I feel like maybe thinking about that, that possibly could have been even, even more horrific than what we're seeing in this one. Uh, the music as always is fantastic. This is definitely the most tear inducing film of the series, if not of all of the Marvel films together. Cause I mean, I know when I warned Will, um, it could be, you're going to cry at least three times, probably five, but definitely, <laughs> definitely three. And I've told that to other people and they're like, yeah, you were right. It's definitely, I was on, on three, almost five. I'm like, yep, I know my stuff. And me, cold heart that I have, I didn't cry at all. Uh, probably because I was just like so intent in reviewing this. And like, but while I thought this was visually just stunning, uh, the some of the jokes were so lame and just went on way too long. Uh, I love that James Gunn, I mean, it's, this was a family affair. Like all of his friends, different members of his family were in the film. It has the most, uh, what is it? Makeup. I believe that any film has ever had. Um, and while I do say it has its faults, I definitely recommend seeing this. I think it's definitely a good film to like wrap up the whole guardians case. And I love that a certain actor was able to book in like being in the first scene or the first um, part of the film and then being in the very last one. And that to me says a lot. And that's all, that's all gun. Um, there's definitely some stuff that I think he was giving the middle finger to Disney. And you know what? I think rightfully so. Uh, I don't think the way they parted was amicable at all or done fairly. And I say go see this film. I think it's probably going to make a billion dollars. I think it should. And yeah, um, actually from the past movies that I've seen from Marvel in the past year, I would say while it may not be perfect, it's the best one that I've seen. Nicely done. That See, folks, that's why she's our go-to. Go-to. <laughs> All right, well, yeah. good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and to, and to, I definitely agree with Katie. That's definitely a horror film, though. I want to give uh, credit where credit is due. I think that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is the first one to 
really uh, maybe that one crawled so this one could walk in terms of going all out horror because that one has obviously that Sam Raimi element, but also has, you know, isn't quite as dedicated to the horror genre um, as this one is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. All the uh, all the things, the similarities that you saw, the homages, I agree with. I also saw a lot of I'm also thinking particularly of just the concept of Peter Quill in his full Guardians outfit and Nebula, who and Groot, who are like, you know, uh, or I think it was just Nebula, like driving in a like an 80s car and passing by like these bizarre creatures, like selling drugs to each other. There's a lot of trauma in this, too. Like, I felt a lot of, you know, like James Gunn reaching into his past and, and, and having that. So, like, you do have some of this prestige horror, but also like some of this uh, lowbrow cheapo stuff that I think, you know, is hilarious. Um yeah, definitely, definitely a horror film. And this, and this is, I'm not a censorship kind of guy. This is one of the few films I've actually censored, you know, for right now with the nine-year-old, you know, she wanted to see it. And I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like Mm-mm. there's some, there's some very eerie images. I mean, even if it's not the violence, I mean, there is one particular sequence in which rocket does something that is very horrific, you know, like it's, it's mm-hmm. actually extremely disturbing. But, you know, just the fact that you're seeing some of these creatures that are just been mutilated, it's it's very it's very off-putting. And I can understand why maybe the humor can be a little weird, too, because you've got such a, a momentum shift, or I'm sorry, like a, a mood shift that's going on, tonal shifts. Um, I thought it worked perfectly for me. I mean, I, I'm going to always go to bat for the first one. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's number 30 or 31 on my top 100. You know, it's it's I think it's the highest Marvel film other than Infinity War for me, which is also very Guardians heavy, which we'll talk about. But um, I mean, it's tough to beat that one for me, but this one comes really close. Like if Guardians one is number one, then I could put volume three as like one A because I just I feel like it's uh, it was well directed, well put together. Uh, like you said, everybody does kind of have like this arc. Um, the characters really just come together. It's put together with love. You can feel the characters are so well drawn and well performed. You know, um, it just it just feels right it, it, to me. Everything felt right to me, um, and that's why I loved it. Now, what intrigues me the most is that you know, superhero fatigue is something that's been said for literally. I was looking at a article the other day that I think it was. 2013 someone was like while superhero fatigue is about to set in you know and now we're in 2023 10 years later and this stuff is going on but there is definitely if not a fatigue for the material a there's star wars kind of has this problem too maybe an overexposure and i get that even as a mega fan of the mcu and a supporter of it even i am like okay there's just too much going on right now so what intrigues me the most about Guardians of the Galaxy is that in 2014, when the first one came out, it was the ultimate test of whether the MCU could succeed because, you know, they were able to jump the hurdle with Thor because that was the first one where they were like, OK, can we introduce gods into this very science techno world? They managed to do that successfully. They managed to pull off the Avengers and Guardians was kind of the first one. It wasn't an A-list character group. It wasn't a very popular comic necessarily um and you had really weird elements 
that even like you know people that love the genre were like oh man are they going to be able to pull off a talking raccoon in a tree you know and it just it just amazes me that you know um nine years later guardians volume three is seen now as the hero to save the mcu because of recent glut of you know poor critical reviews and and lowering box office and things like that so it's just it's just funny how things change in a decade um that one uh goes from testing the mcu and becoming a smash breakout hit and this one is meant to save the genre in a sense i mean it's a little over dramatic but and uh, i think in both cases the first one and the third one uh they succeed in their jobs they create this they continue to foster this incredible universe it shows you that when given much like dr strange in the multiverse of madness or eternals or um even going back to like iron man 3 and stuff when you give uh the directors the autonomy to uh inject their personality you're gonna get something really really special and uh this one to me is so far my movie of the year i know it's it's not a surprise to many people and it's you know, that's pretty biased. I get it, but I can't help it. I just love this one every step of the way, and I will continue to love it. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> I'm going to make three stars sound like zero stars, and I'm really sorry. Um, no, um, this no, this movie is um, – this movie – I don't want to steal Lauren Knight's podcast title. This movie's fine. Um, it's – it is um, – James Gunn, unlike Taika Waititi, knows how to pace his jokes, and that helps because Taika, um, James Gunn um, injects a ton of humor and puts a lot of things in a lot of places, but at the same time finds a very good balance for for um, for heart and for sentiment and all that, and uh, I find that always to be welcome in any MCU movie, let alone his. Um, I can't go where Katie's going and call this the biggest tear-inducing one of the bunch. Um, I cried more in Volume 2 than I did in Volume 3, and Endgame is still sitting out there where it destroys us all. So, um, But other than that, um, there's still a just... Um, there's still, I don't know, there's kind of still this quality of like that Moon Knight um, random bullshit go meme that still happens in this movie where there's just a lot of ridiculousness, a lot of hurdles, a lot of chases, a lot of things, and just an exhaustion that can kind of come from it. Now, can I, I'm not going to kind of like postulate that across all of the whole comic book fatigue that comes along with where we're at right now, where uh, I'm seeing what you're seeing, Will, where um, there's a whole lot of the uh, internet movie community. That's like, you know, Hey, is this what a real Marvel movie looks like? Wow. We have, we lost and forgotten what this is. My like, guys, Spider-Man, no, you know, no way home was, was <laughs> a short year and a half ago. Knock it off. You know, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. We had decent Marvel things and even, you know, along the same time, Shang-Chi was just fine. Like the people who, I don't know if it's more, the, than, what have you done? more than fine. I must interrupt. I'm sorry. I no, I agree. You and me both put that fine. movie up there. But um, <laughs> but no, but the idea that um I, the I don't want to say the spoiled entitled crowd that we've got out there, but the what have you done for me lately vibe is just too harsh to where this goes, where just let this movie be a good capper and be fine. Let it be entertaining and do what it's gonna do. And this movie does. Um, is it too long and too much and a whole lot of random bullshit go stuff from Moon Knight? Uh yeah. But what's there is still very nice. Um, I really appreciated the Rocket Raccoon origin uh, story and, and kind of back pieces that go into that. If there was a character that kind of, in my opinion, kind of earned that out of everyone, I know Katie said it would be nice to little, know a little more about Nebula. And at some point, it would be nice to little, know a little more about everybody. But if you're going to give it to one, 
um, as kind of that sentimental favorite to kind of close uh, close a trilogy. I think they picked the right one um, because that story really tracks well and plays well. And also, like you kind of said, Will, um, it produces a whole lot of the good villainy that is possible when you have an adversary that just does nefarious, ugly things. And um, hard part for me is like I also am not going to follow the the Twitterverse that kind of says this is your best Marvel villain since who name whatever what they want to fill in the blank with because um for me high evolutionary is kind of that two-note guy of uh it's either whispered platitudes or it's just yelled to the balcony screaming where i just i know there's a plan there i know there's initiative and impetus there but i no i i the yelling out numbers the whispers and it just becomes part of the exhaustion that comes with the movie um i think but at the same time, these are characters we really enjoy. They're people we really like, and we want to see them win and succeed. But at the same time, like, you can get there just, I don't know, just there's easily 20 minutes I shave off this movie, if not more. And it is, it's just a tricky thing where, again, people are going to postulate this with the superhero fatigue and all that, and they still kind of serve their own, they still kind of create their own problem by making these movies that are, that are just long and, and very overstuffed and very full. Now, some of that is nice because, hey, more time, more stuff, more more, more quality things spent in a place we enjoy. And that's the nice part about this is this is a place you can kind of really enjoy yourself and have a good time. Do I still kind of step back and go, hey, what are we really chasing and doing here and all that? Um, where can, at the same time, some stakes kind of end up and be? And I don't know. I, I get I get a little lost in all the the bullshit and slap happery stuff and uh, and find it just kind of, I do that air conditioner thing on Ian's show. I'm not going to do it again, but just, um, it just, there's a place where it just runs out of where it's going. Um, I think there's more, I think there's better ways they could have landed this plane. I think there's better ways they could have chased a few things here and there, but, uh, but I can't deny what we've got in terms of characters and good entertaining people. Um, if that puts me at three stars out of five and a, and a fresh review and not a rotten view compared to Thor of last year and Dr. Strange last year, where those are just, uh, just shut up those are just tonal messes and all that you know i mean where those movies just really are the random bullshit go without a lot of ties and a lot of pieces and parts where at least this one in the end heart wins and that's the nice part of well in my five minutes is that the idea that you can have a lot of random bullshit you can have a lot of exhaustion you can have a lot of wild this and wild that but man when get when gun wants to he can turn on that heart and still get you and i and that is always the saving grace of any movie you put it in from a MCU superhero film to a lame rom-com to a Hallmark movie to whatever you want to put. If you get heart right, you can kind of get most of the movie right. And that tends to be enough. Um, could it be better? I'll still be the guy that says that, but so far so good. Um, I wish this movie the best. I really do. But at the same time, but I'm not, but yeah, the pedestal for me is way lower where this is not the savior of comic book team. This is not the savior of phase four or five, whatever the fuck we're in. It's just a, a good movie that deserved the finale. It got, I'm glad it was given the, the breath to be able to kind of show what you want to show, do what you want to do. Give James Gunn his swan song. Can't wait to see what he does next. And yeah, if I never see these characters again, I'm fine. <laughs> you know what you All are, right. Don? You know what you are, Don? Easy. You're Easy a bad play. dog. I can handle that. Well, oh this bad dog La- is going to take a quick break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friend and build the break into the show. <laughs> You've seen Twin Peaks all the way through, but all you have are spoiler-free discussions? 
At Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, no information is classified and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. All right, ladies and gents, welcome back. Tell me about this bad dog situation bullshit. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, you're fine. I'm just kidding. No, no, I, I get it. I mean, I can understand. I guess it depends on your connection huh? with it. Like, I agree with you about Thor 4. I mean, I, I enjoyed yeah. it, but I'm also a super fan. But I, I I get it. I can see somebody going like, whoa, they really cranked you yeah. know, the the comedy up a little too much. They let it be too Taika, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I will always defend uh, Multiverse of Madness just because I, I, I think it's a, a wonderful Sam Raimi film. Um, but I get it. I can see how other people were kind of like, what? But I don't know. This this one, um, you know, I, I, I do think it gets back. It gets back to basics. And I and I and I want to defend the high evolutionary a little bit. I okay. I agree. I agree. The performance is a little. Uh, what do you call it? Like all over too, the map it's, because it's too note to me. It, 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 it is. It's definitely too note. But here's the thing. Yeah. I don't necessarily think. Um, like a performance being one or two note is necessarily a bad thing to, if if how they play into the story. Now, sure. The, the, the key thing here is the, the, one of the things is, and this is why I think this is a success uh, and harkens back to some of the great Marvel movies. I mean, of course, Thanos is a, is a universe wide threat, but you know, uh, the, the reason why the MCU was so, so sustainable and perfect in my opinion, at least for a while was because it, it truly represented like a comic book stand where, you know, you would get, you know, the big crossover events and then you would get the kind of personal lower stake stories. You had street level stuff. You had world level stuff. You had universe level stuff, cosmic mm-hmm. stuff. And I like that. And what I like about this story is that the villain is not a world ending kind of guy. Sure. He kind of ends his world. You know, this uh, earth see thing. That. Yeah. Big you enough, know? buddy. It's but, not a sandbox. No. He tipped over. It's a fucking well, planet. You well, know? Yeah. But at the same time, like it kind of fits into his philosophy of how he experiments on these people. And what I really liked about him is it reminds me of, and here's my weird comparison, but it won't be, it won't be anything with movies, but I remember, um, what, what was the, what was the name of the, uh, chief of staff um uh woman chief of staff under bush uh somebody was interviewing her and they they interviewed her and they and they found out that she was an excellent uh pianist like she was fantastic like she she sure. technically was brilliant um but her piano teacher uh went up to her and said um you shouldn't do this and 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 she's like, why? And she's like, well, you're technically brilliant, but you just don't have the passion for it. You don't have that emotional oh, grace to be a pianist, right? Yeah. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I, I kind of get, I'm not saying this person's like Condoleezza Rice. I'm not making that comparison. But what I'm saying is, is like, what I like about the high evolutionary is he's clearly a brilliant person. He's clearly okay. got these ideas of what he wants to do scientifically and evolutionary, but he doesn't have any of that, what we would call quote unquote human. He's not a human, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have that grace, that humanity. And I think that's what gets him to that level of, I'm either going to be whispering things or screaming things. It's part of the character. I don't think it's a bad performance. I think it's very true to what that character is, which is someone who has no, ability to get into that gray area. He's either really okay. mad or really 
you know, contemplative, but he also doesn't have, I mean, the reason why he is as angry as he is and wants Rocket the way he is, is because Rocket instinctively, whether it was born into his genes or amplified by his experiments, has something that the high evolutionary never could have, which is thinking like in a different way and thinking with emotions and thinking with different things. And mm-hmm. I like that that drives him. I, I don't know. I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I get the same thing with the performance because one minute he's screaming, one minute he's whispering, but yeah, he also does so many things that show that he's not a typical person that I, I feel like the two note is appropriate. Like, I don't think if he was a very complex yeah. three dimensional character it would work. Yeah. You know what Katie, I mean? I don't know. Katie, you got to handicap this villain. How, how does it play for you? The high evolutionary is above all a science, a scientist, and science has no feelings. There is this or that. One of the reasons why he's so upset that all of his other experiments have failed is because Rocket did something that he can't figure out. He can't figure out why Rocket is able to de- have this deductive reasoning that all of these other things that technically, in a perfect sense, should be working since that's how he designed Rocket, but Rocket's the only one that's able to do this. And while I know I said that High Evolutionary is the biggest bad because he has no, I mean, he just completely destroys a planet without any uh, remorse, any empathy, any second thought to it. At least with Thanos, Thanos even said that, um, uh, you know, he's doing these things in the universe because he's like, people would starve to death. People would do this. So he's God. people. uh, Sorry. Um, So it's like Thanos, as much as Thanos's demented self was, he had um, at least some sort of a reasoning of why he was doing this. He was trying to make the universe better by Mm. having it not implode on itself. And with the high evolutionary, he just doesn't care. He wipes out complete generations he does a mass global suicide um genocide at the flick of a finger with no thought whatsoever and to me Mm. that is the biggest bad of any of these villains because i mean at Mm. least some of them have some sort of feelings towards like well if you do this there's this he doesn't care he only cares about himself and it's like it's no it's just hashtag science there is no it's like you can't have a personal um feeling toward it and nothing says guy, that more than, you know, attach like mutilating. I mean, it's a general sure. rule of movies that if you hurt an animal, people are going to be fucking yeah. pissed. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, and that sells it too, is the fact that like, oh, sure. they these found creations of like, yeah, it's just ho- horrible things to these no, animals. They, you know? they, they gave him a plot point to make him nefariously evil. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. But I mean, in terms of presence and two note, He's a smidge overgrown in the accuser in the first movie. Like it's, it's still just Lee Pace yelling it, or it's this guy yelling. So come on, that's actually cool. that's actually really I'm cooler f- than this guy. I'll that's take actually that. Actually, really funny that you said that because I didn't realize that till now that both Ronan and um, uh, High Evolutionary kind of have the same um, wardrobe stylist too, with like yeah, the dark purples true. and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I, it's just now coming to me regarding that. <laughs> well, like, you know, he also looks like Kang too. I mean, they but the fact that Quantum Mania mm-hmm. came out before this, and they yeah. both wear these kind of purple things where they shoot like gravity beams out of each other. Yeah. It's a little confusing. Sometimes, well, that's the next but- thing is like I don't want to play the comic book salesman from The Simpsons, but like 
he has very unexplained powers. To, I mean, the science is well crafted in the movie and well well shown and demonstrated in the movie, but the powers and randomness come out of nowhere, and it just it it's powers well, for the sake of powers and silly for the sake of silly. I don't. Know. I don't think so because he he is horribly mutilated himself sure. by Rocket and. What would a scientist that manipulates what the body do to recover from that is make himself almost a Frankenstein monster in himself? Yeah, and I and I think that he decided. I mean, if there is a little bit of a wrinkle to the black hatness, like straight sure. up evil thing, is that he also starts to believe his own bullshit because he has that great line where he says, mm-hmm. "Like there was no God, so that's why I stepped in." You know. Yeah, and good line. I think that's, good line. I think that's why he started adding those things like this gravity suppression suit and the the weird RoboCop looking, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, face uh, appliances and stuff. Because I think at some point he's just like, I cannot let. I mean, because I, I also think, as Katie is saying, he doesn't care. I mean, to him, it, it's not just that Rocket does all this stuff, but he was actually beaten in a sense by a subspecies like a raccoon you know and like mm-hmm. i think part of him is just like that's not going to happen again so he kind of over amplifies himself yeah a little bit but i mean i don't know i i i understand what you're saying i just see it from a yeah. different a different angle My- and and his and his villainry is very connected personally to oh, sure. the characters and that's that helps. what really helps yeah. too yeah. no i get you my next bone to pick is the complete pussification of adam warlock you have a Marvel, <laughs> and I'll put my comic book salesman hat on again, or ponytail on again. Um, that's a complete comic book badass that you reduce to the fucking dude from Where the Millers. So, mm-hmm. like, that's a complete missed opportunity for me. Where you got to bring that guy in and, and throw some shit down. So, I I don't know. I I actually was thinking about this because this is like the third or fourth time Marvel has done this, and I I yeah. kind of enjoy it. Like, I think it happened like in Mandarin now. Uh, yeah, Mandarin was kind of the first high-profile one where it was uh, like, oh, yeah. we're going to pull the rug out from under you and totally twist this character in another direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, mm, I know I, you're going. There's, yeah. there's a third one I can't think of. It's Modoc in Modoc is the is the most recent one where like oh, and then the Mandarin. Well, no, the Mandarin's number one. There was another one I was thinking of where they introduced this somebody. He was. No, 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 this is number four. There's four of them. I just oh, can't. Uh, I can't think of my fourth one. I have you got one earlier. here. Katie, you got one here? No. Hmm. So I, I like I kind of like the subversion of it because nothing, I mean, unfortunately, and Katie can probably attest to this as a horror gal. I can attest to this as a heavy metal guy and a comic guy. You know, those fan bases are great and they're wonderful, but they're also so fucking annoying. This and nothing true. gets yeah. me more excited than when someone's like why didn't they make Modoc how I wanted Modoc to be? Like, and I love that. And I kind of love the fact that Adam Warlock was built up as this, you know, uh, super, 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 super being. I and mean, it's, it's that's really a guy like a who, doofus. <laughs> like, yeah, <I> love <laughs> but that's a guy who can normally step to Thanos, and like, I don't know, maybe that's the next level jolt this movie. I don't know, needed or I just that's a tough spot to just and it would you know. You promise it pretty hard in the in the second in the second movie at the end, and I don't know. I mean, but that's a I, Disney I, problem too because it, they fired yeah. him at that point, and everything kind of got screwed up at that and, point. And no, so. I, I get what you're saying with subversion, where it's fun, and I don't mind fucking that fandom too. But at some point, it can't all be tricks and rug pulls. At some point, you gotta 
fucking deliver. And, and, and some of that I will echo towards stakes where if you're going to make everything seem to be this goddamn important all the goddamn time, have something goddamn important happen. And I'll, I'm going to go on the show and say it like this, and I'll be an asshole for it. Peter Quill should have died at the end of the movie. Period. Um, I agree. I actually predicted when I was going in with my daughter, um, I was saying like the odds. I was like, okay, 100% Rocket, um, 50% Drax, and like 25% Peter Quill. Like I mm-hmm. just kind of thought that was going to happen. I am a little surprised that no one died, but <laughs> I, I am not I, necessarily. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I am well, because no, I, I, I understand what you're It's, fucking, it's well, one life to live. It's a soap opera. But at the I, same time, right? Yeah. I agree. But I was talking to my to a friend and former guest of the show, Jeff, at the at the premiere of, or the screening of this, and I said, you know, I know it's a movie, and movies kind of have different stakes. But at the same time, this is kind of a series, and you know, like when we watch something like Star Trek: The Next Generation, like uh, you can still have stakes, you can still have tension, and you can still have that stuff happen. And you know that Captain Picard is not going to die at the end of each episode. And mm-hmm. I kind of have accepted that in a way sure with these kind of things because comics are the same way it's like if you're reading daredevil number 34 daredevil's not going to die at the end of number 34 nor is he going to die at the end of 44 or 54 like i've kind of accepted that part so mm-hmm. i i do wish like you said that that if there was a couple things i would change i would i i do think the true passing of the torch yeah. maybe needed a death um but i don't know the characters are so rich like you're not gonna kill your bet it's chris pratt you're not gonna kill yeah that's what i'm saying like i I know that we i know that we um we talked about this in our last episode on return of the jedi but you know even though you and i had enjoyed harrison ford's performance in that he's so laid back and fun and you know when you didn't have you when you found out that his arc was done and you mm-hmm. kept him alive, it did make him kind of like just surplus to requirements. And I didn't get that feeling with any of these characters, though. Like, I feel like they went on their own path. They deserve to live. They deserve to go forward. And I think it might have been actually even cheap if they killed off a character for dramatic purposes. So, Man, I, guess. I don't know. Katie, how do you feel about all this? Uh, Well... It's sort of a, that's a tricky question because now knowing that both uh, Dave Batista and now, and I mean, Batista, I knew before three was going to, um, came out that he wasn't going to do Drax anymore. He's made that very clear, but now Chris Pratt has said he's not going to do another Guardians and he won't do it. So it's like, okay, well. Uh, spoiler alert, but there's a thing at the end that Star-Lord will return. So, uh, what does that mean? I think it's a joke, personally. I, I um, don't... I don't know. I, I don't pass, know. Pass Marvel. Yeah. But, I mean, this isn't, this isn't HBO. If it was HBO, someone would have died. There probably would have been two or three. Yeah. Um, and they may have died in two. I don't know. Personally, I watched two again before we did this. Two is the one that makes me cry. Two is the one that makes you yeah. cry, but it's only at the end. I feel like this one mm-hmm. definitely has multiple teary places from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But oh, I have plenty, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. I have plenty. But, but for different reasons than I thought, but we'll get to that later. Sorry. I was but, not close to a single tear in this movie. Uh, not close. But Two had I, me. The Ravager Funeral, I'm Sean Gunn. I, I, I'm verklempt. I'm cheering. It's amazing. 
My first one made me cry a lot too. So yeah, (laughs) that's me though. But I do think that uh, with, I don't know. I do think it would have been better if um, Peter possibly would have died. Cause I feel like he sort of died a bit anyway. He was sort of dead um, in this film anyway, just with the fact that um, Gamora, he's not going to be with Gamora anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, that the Gamora that he knew is gone. And he's realizing that in the, drinking and the way he's acting and stuff. I mean, he definitely is a completely different character than he I was agree. even in Infinity War and stuff. It's like, but I he should tell. be though. Well, he yeah, should be though, because he's gone through some shit. Like uh, mm-hmm. next to maybe Thor, you yeah. know, he's got to be one of the most tragic freaking and, and Scarlet Witch. He's got to be one of the most tragic fucking characters in the Marvel universe. I mean, you know, every movie, it's something new. It's his mom dies, his his dad dies, and his father dies. His You find out his father killed his mother, and, you, you know, mm-hmm. then Gamora dies, and it's like, fucking yeah. hey, You're like, he, the, the poor guy cannot catch a break. So, I mean, he should be yeah. changed by that point. Your notion, Will, of baton passing, because, yeah, yeah like, Peter going back to save the music for, for rock, and I know it's an, it's an technically... I don't want to say an arbitrary way, but it's a, it's a softer way to die than blaze of fucking glory, you know, um, mm-hmm. where that would be from a gesture. Like that's a place where that's a, I don't want to say it's the honorable, you know, like big time movie hero death. It's not Tony snap his fingers and saving humanity, but, um, but that just like, Hey, I'm like the friend, the friendship theme that has been throughout this trilogy and throughout these characters really rings true every chance you get. And when James Gunn wants to bring that bell and like, yeah, the simple act of like supporting a friend, saving something for a friend, and and, and then you merge that with where Katie's coming from of all the different losses he's had. Mm-hmm. It just felt like the right moment in time, especially if James Gunn and and Chris Pratt are, are are closing the book, so to speak, where this can be. And what a great torch pass! Like if you need, and then at the same time, if you needed someone to do the Blaze of Glory thing, Drax has been asking for a Blaze of Glory death for three movies, so. You know, him saving the day for somebody would have been fantastic. And Dave, and, and as soon as Dave said, "Hey, I'm not coming back again," I'm like, "Oh, that, then there's the one right there." You know, that I well, thought that was the 100 percent guaranteed death. But I've uh, got my, I, uh, I've got my, I've got my issues with Drax in this film, and we'll get to that later. Ooh, yeah, I was going to no, pop it right um, now. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, do it right now. Yeah. Uh, so Drax has always been a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say dumb. He's just more ignorant. He just doesn't yeah. know. And in this one, he was just blatantly dumb. And yeah. it just got in that. I've said that's one of the things that's been uh, really perturbed with me. It's that it's he was just dumb in dumb ways. And yes, that mm-hmm. worked out with the kids who oh um, we'll and I thought oh and I God. thought. I mean, that was a cute moment and stuff like that. But I always thought that it's like he had, I don't know. He just, he just seemed, he did stuff in a way that wasn't as really stupid in this one. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes he did things that were just ignorant because he just didn't know better. These, in this one, I felt like he knew better in in certain circumstances and he just didn't care. And then he was just dumb. Yeah. Being it and it just it was just like a recurring thing that just like beating a dead horse. (laughs) No, see, I loved it because I think Batista's brilliant. I could watch him, you know, cook cook in his kitchen. Yeah. So I I don't I don't mind because I it's like I love I love Drax, so he's probably next to Quill, I probably my favorite. I mean it's Mm. tough to say a favorite because I love all of them, but 
Sure. So I enjoy all the moments with him. I do get it. He does have uh, here's another Star Trek reference for you. He kind of got warped, got warped a little bit because okay, uh, in Star Trek, like Worf was kind of like you know your serious loyal Klingon like yeah. warrior, right? When the movies started hitting, he became the comic relief, and like even Michael Dorn, oh, who played right. Worf, he was like, "I'm not coming back if you're going to keep making me a fucking clown." Yeah, like, <laughs> and um, you know. It, this that's happened to Drax for sure. I mean, it was interesting in Infinity War, you know, where he's going like the hey, I'm chewing these Zarg nuts and I'm completely invisible and like, you know, and I do feel like they kind of amp that up to eleven. Oh, I don't yeah, mind yeah. it, but I can see why. However, I will say this, and this is this was the biggest tear jerking thing for me. Mm. Um, I mean, it devastated me. Like, I was texting people afterwards. Like, I think I texted you, Katie. I was just like, I quoted the line to you. And I was like, fuck. Like, because it destroyed me in the theater, which is, you know, despite the fact that he's this goofy character, like when Nebula says, you weren't meant to be a destroyer, you were meant to be a dad. Like, I fucking lost it. Like, in the theater, I fucking, like, I. my daughter was sitting next to me. She could see, like, because I I clenched my fist and I started hitting my thigh because I was like, oh, God, please don't burst out in tears. (laughs) And she she held my hand and I just started bawling because, like, I don't know, that's a huge, like, that's a huge thing for me. Like, I I, I I identify so much with, like father figures and things like that. Sure. Like that absolutely destroyed me. Like I was like, Oh my God. So regardless of how goofy he got, that felt so true and honest to me. And like, despite the clownishness of maybe what he's become, Mm -hmm. it, it, it it did remind you of like what that character was about and what his original motivation was. And I don't know, that one hit me big time. So, okay. Regardless of how goofy he is in this one, the fact that he I got the most emotional response of all the movies from that moment was I'll never forget that. That's why okay. I can't totally go all against Batista's Jokey sure. Drax, but yeah. Well, no, and that's um that's the one moment that like when Nebula said that, I agree with that because it's like when he was like with the kids and doing this stuff. And I mean, even at the end of two, when he's like, you know, uh Groot is like that teeny little sapling and like on his shoulder and he's like patting him and he's like falling Mm -hmm. asleep. You see the um, fatherly nature that it's like that goes then into three, but it's just the dumbness that he, it's like, I I mean, it's tough swing. Yeah. It was just a lot for me. And that was, I mean, that was another thing like with the bad dog thing. I thought it's like, okay, we get it. Stop saying it five times. It's like, again, that was hilarious. I love that. Beating beating a dead horse. And, um, yeah, Um, there was another one. Sour pusses. I swear to God. Good. No, just kidding. (laughs) But, uh, here's another, here's another pro Drax thing though. Uh Oh, that, that, No, I'm serious. That yeah, um, I'm just watching the clock going. Great, another Drax thing. <laughs> shut up. Uh, this <laughs> no the. I, I think that there's another great line. Okay. That somebody has. I think it was Mantis. I don't know who says the line, but it also rings true. Is like Drax is dumb. I mean, we know that, but there's also that moment where she's like, "Why are we always getting on Drax? Like he's the only person here who doesn't hate himself." And I that one moved mm, me too because cool. I was like. Man, I was like, I was like, shit. I mean, that's yeah. kind of true. Like, all these people have some major freaking damage, 
and Drax is just kind of going along doing his thing, you know, like, and I, yeah. I kind of admire that. Like, I don't know. It just, it just seems, he just seems to fit as he is in this universe. I don't, I don't know how to describe you know, it. No, he, he fits here. It's just the balance that Katie's talking about. And I don't yeah. have to take that line. That's a damn good line. I, I got, I got you there. Can I uh, bring up something that Don's complained about in the past that I think was handled <laughs> very well in this movie? Sure. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay. So, I know Don hates the multiverse. Hates it. I do. Um, it's lame as shit. Overplayed. This, it is lame and overplayed. I actually kind of agree because it does take stakes out of things. Yeah, however, yep. however, I think the way they handle Gamora in this is the is one of the ways that a multiverse story can exist in a positive way. Because I'll grant that. I'll grant I that. Really because- I we, really sh- like- we should have a whole roster. We should have a whole roster of misplaced five years lost characters with real reverberations. And other than some high school angst in the Spider-Man movies, we get none of that anywhere. But this story uh, or this Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There was an Bullshit. entire terrorist that. group called the Flag Smashers that were Yeah, but they you gotta have some Amazing yeah, put that on your heroes. That. This is hero's journey, hero stories. You have heroes that are just ah, five years, whatever. I'm back to doing my thing. Yeah, Great. I'm glad the villains. I'm glad the villains have it. You got to put it in some heroes. And yes, this 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 treatment of Gamora is solid. And I'll back you there. Well, all right. I'm not going to get into any of that because you're wrong. But uh, <laughs> but no, the, the the blip has major consequences for a lot of a lot of the MCU properties beyond the Within silly. Yeah. Some somewhat. Well, we won't get into that. My point is, is that uh, it is a very um, interesting concept of like, what if someone who looks exactly like your former lover, wife, boyfriend, whatever, comes in your life, but they are truly a different person, and <laughs> and I like that they didn't force anything. Like there was moments yeah. because because they did. I mean, they obviously, you know, if that Gamora was. Uh, followed her timeline you know right uh, you know they probably would have fallen in love like they did in the normal timeline so they have these moments that i thought were very mature where like they would look at each other for a minute and be like oh i see something there's a spark there but because of those those angsty things and because of all that missing time and all the craziness of the universe you know they did not like end up being a couple at the end or rekindling fate you know like they went yeah. their separate ways and i thought that was wonderful i agree that they, that they just was like let's this is this is truly a different gamora like and we're gonna treat it like that we're not gonna try to make this gamora something you know before and and also a great performance by zoe saldana because technically it's the same person but at the same time i just kind of you know, I feel like they're two separate Gamoras, really, and that's that comes down to good acting because that's true. I, I mean, I, you know, they're they are really separate. When you think of Gamora in Infinity War and the Gamora in this one, I mean, they are completely different characters, and I love that. I think it's great. Well, yeah, that was one of the things that I talked about. That I love the fact that Gamora, you know, I mean, she's been with the Ravagers. She hasn't been. Um, she hasn't had that. Uh, you know, animosity with Nebula or then having the bonding stuff with Nebula. And uh, now that Thanos is gone, she, you know, she also doesn't have that, you know, rage against her adopted father. But I love the fact that they didn't 
push the whole thing. It's like, oh, they are going to look at each other and fall in love. Like, no, that took like nine years for that to happen. That wasn't overnight. It wasn't really until Infinity War or actually at the end of um, Guardians 2 that they really had Mm -hmm. some sort of like romantic connection. So I love the fact that they didn't like push that and like try and make Mm -hmm. it so unrealistic and unnatural. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree. So, th- I mean, those are, these are all little, and this is what's funny is we're talking about, so far we've talked about, you know, the villain who's kind of a side part of the story. We've talked about Drax. We've talked about Gamora. These are all very, you know, these aren't the main crux of this movie, but they're all, to me, so well drawn out or so well done that, you know, they, they, entice conversation and you know and that's sure to me, that's a good movie to me that, yeah. that's a good movie because we're talking about the the edges of this thing yeah you know yeah. and that's and, that's great and it's an edge that still becomes the big core of this third movie and that's rocket raccoon and and yep. mm-hmm. that that arc is really really nice and, and probably one of those moments where you kind of can pause and go like man this would have been a heck of a 10 episode series somewhere where you can spend a little time on um mantis and drax and, and give everybody a bit of an origin turn or two but if you only had to choose one they, they picked a darn good one and the and the lovable one and it's easy to you know to i i don't want to say be manipulative because it's not that but um mm-hmm. but you you do put your your smallest most diminutive member and make them a big deal and at the same time you know you can press those harm pet you know triggers that make people mad at a villain and it's very easy to then get away with having a mean villain and but it works and it works and it plays but at the same time it wasn't just put a trope in there for the sake of a trope like you really earned it rocky had such a great arc there that mm-hmm. worth paying off worth seeing through uh yeah no argument there yeah Sorry, no, I I completely agree. Rocket was, I love everything that Bradley Cooper did. I love, I mean, mm-hmm. the CGI in this is just, oh, I mean, gosh. they More need to, too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they really need to be looking at possible Oscar nominations for this because just a little, mm-hmm. if you follow um, James Gunn on Instagram, like he does the little test things and stuff and seeing Rocket as a baby and then going up, I mean, it's just so realistic and also heartbreaking with all the animals. And you also really realize, like, why Rocket is a little standoffish and stuff. I mean, his first friends, he had to watch them, like, die in such horrific ways and all the blame because he was trying to free them. And then they all died right in front of him. And. Yeah, the, and the first thing that almost made me cry was that like his first words were hurts. Yeah, you know, like hurts, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my god, this yeah. fucking movie, this Ooh. movie is gonna punch me in the gut, isn't it? Like yeah. it was brutal. I'll double down on the aesthetics where production design, costume design are off the charts. Like there's oh, yeah. a lot of, I mean, there's still obviously some green screens and things like that, but the amount of practical sets that are getting worked through as much as you have the big backgrounds is far superior to even, especially Ant-Man, but a lot of things since the last yeah. couple of Marvel movies where like this imaginative, rich, original built, built a lot, the costumes, even just the trip to, and some of that is sealed with just the trip to the organic, factory place where just the the fat the fat suits of the guards versus all those wacky sets and it continues into the suburbia stuff and like just the the level of detail put into the movie 
visual effects, practical effects is is really really good, and I hope it can get remembered come Oscar time. I don't know if it will. I don't. I, we have to see other things that are coming. The Guardians but, movies yeah. usually. I mean, didn't it win Oscar? No, costume no, Oscar? no, no. I mean, I think no. some of the. It depends on the film. Like I know all the Captain Americas usually got nominated for technical stuff, and there's sure. certain ones that they're always recognized. Uh, but no, I, I agree with you on the aesthetics and and one thing that I hope Marvel learns from this is because you know it, it does come down to not only like not overworking your visual effects team, but right. it, it, directors do matter in this universe more than people want to give credit for. And the reason why I say that is because I I enjoyed the ideas in Quantum Mania. Uh, it reminded me of a comic that I read called Saga, which is not Marvel, ironically. And I liked a lot of the goofy concepts that they had, but unfortunately Peyton Reed is not really, I don't think he's that dynamic of a director. He's competent. He's good. And I I think those ideas just don't play in the kind of more staticky, put the camera down and watch the characters react kind of way. But when you have someone who's so Mm hands-on and intuitive with that material and that genre, like James Gunn, that really makes the difference because both quantum mania and guardians three have like a lot of these wild cosmic ideas, but only one of them really brims with energy and freshness. And it, I, I think it also helps that they must've paid extra attention to this one. Cause it's kind of been making the news that, you know, Marvel's been putting out so much stuff that their VFX right. artist teams are like overworked and like doing and not to their fault, but because they don't have time. I mean, there's, you know, even though there's some great elements in Thor Love and Thunder, there's also the floating head that talks mm-hmm. to you, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's also moments where people are standing amongst, you know, clearly a green screen. Yeah, this one, this one looks like, I mean, obvious, like we know as movie people that a green screen exists and things don't of exist course. in real yeah. life. But like you never, I never sat through this movie and thought like, oh, I can tell they're on a soundstage. Right. I wasn't like this, picking green screens yeah. either. Yeah, yeah this was fluid mm-hmm. and organic yeah. and and for, and also just gorgeous. Like this movie yeah. was pretty, is really pretty to look at, and that goes visually down to, stunning. It's visually stunning, <laughs> and it and it, com- and it comes down to as it also comes down to um, not over relying on the. Um, cgi because there were a lot of sets like the the uh what do you right. call it the, um uh what's his name the, the bad guy what, what are we calling him again i forget uh, High evolutionary. High evolutionary. like his like whatever you want to call it throne room or whatever yeah, like ships that was, the, that the, where was, the kids are held there's lots of places yeah lots of really cool stuff yeah. going on and so yeah that's that's uh yeah it's it's right. great movie final what? question before closing here favorite song on the soundtrack of volume three which one got you? Uh, hmm. I mean, I my answer is easy. The Florence and the Machine at the end. Yeah, the, what a great ending note! It's so damn good. Yeah, so. that's what I'm. That's I was looking. I wrote down like all, different aspects of the mm-hmm. songs that were in there. Florence and the Machine does creep. I think is a very interesting way to start it off. Just yeah. because I have my own feelings regarding that song and okay. just you know of. Uh, someone remembering someone passing, and that was their favorite mm-hmm. song, and 
um, other people with that. So it's very interesting. But then, I mean, if you want to go cheese ball, the slow-mo walk of um, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, that's classic. <laughs> but Will, no, I, it's Florence and the Machine for me. Same. Will, well, you got one? You know, it's tough for me because this one, um, this one was probably, I have a weird gap with music because I mostly listen to like heavier stuff, punk and metal, but yeah. like, but also, um, you know, growing up with my parents, like, you know, the, the soundtrack for the first two, you know, they're, they're, they're not like overblown classics, but like they're recognizable. And like, I knew every artist on there and every song, Th- this is probably the most, I'm not going to say complex or deep because there are obviously some big bands in here like Alice Cooper and Flaming Lips and all that stuff. But this is definitely more of a deeper cut soundtrack and I'm not as familiar. So cool. Um, I'm glad I, I got don't, you. I don't, I don't think I could pick one right now because I'm just not familiar enough with the music. Okay. And, and, and to be honest with you, the, the music in this one felt a little bit more, I know that James Gunn writes the scripts with the music in mind, you know, mm-hmm. for the characters. This one just felt more like, like, like the music didn't stick out to me. Like everything's kind of, I feel like the, the first two, there's a vibe and the music fits the vibe. This seems yeah. to be more scene specific. This is true. And, I agree. And I, so I don't necessarily remember cause I was so involved in the scene. So I'd have to see yeah, it again. Yeah. To give you an answer on this one. I like the way you put, and we'll get to this in the next episode where we speak mm-hmm. larger retrospective, but no, those first two by having the old mixtapes stay, you're right, very vibe and very you know, in one place where this one hops around. Very true, very true. Well, this mm-hmm. is good. I can't wait to talk the whole thing over in the next episode. Looking forward to it. <laughs> But just in case everyone listened to Don and Katie's very, you know, eh, opinions on this movie and they don't <laughs> want to continue, Katie, why don't, why don't you at least tell us where they can, you know, uh, tell you how you did on the show uh, on social <laughs> medias? Where, where can we find you? <laughs> you can find me at the um, the blonde in front on Instagram, Facebook, uh, my blog, which is kind of up and running again, and uh, YouTube. And I also do a number of video reviews on Radio of Horror as the Blonde in Front of Fear and through Postmortem Radio. Fantastic. All great stuff. Uh, Katie is the queen of the selfie. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, whenever you I, see the movie, I have the distinct it's... pleasure watching them in in action, like in, I know, in so creation. Cool. And I and I, you and I have been in some with her, and like I see angles to me I've never seen before, and I'm just like, how'd she do that? That's amazing. But um, <laughs> yeah, you guys got to check her out; she's awesome. But uh, in terms of us, you know, you're gonna follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit. We're on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. You can find me and Don by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews and ratings and lists, too. Uh, We're also on Rotten Tomatoes. We are members of the Independent Film Critics of America. We want to thank you very much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25YL Media. If you enjoyed this show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. 
Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.